the inadvisable trapdoor. It's tricky, it's not pillar. But it's not very good. Here's the penis. Um, yes, I have seen one. I saw one in 1963 uh, in London from my flat. There have been many actual shapes. The cigar shape, which are usually the parent craft. Um, disc shape, many disc shape. Uh, tadpole. Uh, tad tadpole. Um, heel, like that in a man's shoe. Bubble, uh, triangular, uh, and so on. Bubble, uh, and so on. I saw one in 1963 uh, in London from my flat. Like, like that in a man's shoe. The Inadvisable Trapdoor is brought to you by cheap, brittle ice cube trays that break easily and the ice cubes are quite difficult to remove. Mum, these ice cube trays are great. Oh, I am pleased. They're made of a lovely soft silicon and the cubes come out really easily. Wait! What? Are you using soft silicon ice cube trays? Yes. They don't break, and the ice cubes come out really easily. Well then, what you need is cheap, brittle ice cube trays that break easily, and the ice cubes are quite difficult to remove. Uh, no, I think we're quite happy with the... Cheap, brittle ice cube trays that break easily, and the ice cubes are quite difficult to remove. Britain's number one choice for ice cube making. The inadvisable trapdoor. 
Norman Wisdom's Norman Wisdom. Mr. Grimsdale! Mr. Grimsdale! You want to build a wooden or stone keep, Mr. Grimsdale, situated on a raised area of ground, accompanied by a walled courtyard, surrounded by a protective ditch and palisade. Mr. Grimsdale! It's called a Mott and Bailey, Mr. Grimsdale! Mr. Grimsdale! Norman Wisdom's Norman Wisdom. We only want something done about this animal. We don't want no money. We, we want to keep what we got. Once upon a time... The damn thing have took nearly a thousand quids worth of my stock. Some zoologists who have studied the carcasses of killed sheep are adamant that big cats are to blame. Not so long ago. Possibly former exotic pets released into the wild. The classic signs are the claw marks on the hindquarters where the animal was initially pulled down. The cat rolls underneath, goes for a throat bite. And it wasn't just the, uh, the kills that, that upset us, it was the numbers that were left alive, disemboweled and living. And it was just opened, as if you'd opened it with a knife. There were also um, signs on the udder of actual claw marks. There were four claw marks, one of which had penetrated exactly like a cat uh, claw mark. A recent Ministry of Agriculture inquiry concluded there was no evidence to suggest the beast existed. I don't know what to believe, sir. What I know is that I've heard it. And I never want to hear such a sound again in all my life. Mr Richardson will now carry out a series of tests to determine the exact species, age and gender of the animal. The most important... The most beautiful, the most magical. The six-month investigation, costing more than £8,000, showed the so-called beast was Emily's cat, Bagpuss. Is that the cat that's been killing your, your sheep, do you think? It's big enough to. It's big enough to be the one. My goodness, it is. Norman Wisdom's Norman Wisdom. Mr Grimsdale! Mr Grimsdale! I think this might be an opportune time to invade England, Mr Grimsdale, because Harold and his forces are absolutely knackered after the Battle of Stamford Bridge, Mr Grimsdale. They've been fighting Vikings, Mr Grimsdale. We should invade, and I think Hastings might be the best place for it, Mr Grimsdale. Mr Grimsdale! Norman Wisdom's Norman Wisdom. I 
remember the first time I did a meditation and it came out and everything felt different and transcendent. It felt like the world had changed. I, just, I mainly went in for the dragon statuettes. <laughs> I'm Katie Mitchell. I am comedian, artist, musician. I like playing video games. I like making bread. I'm also gay, but I'm more passionate about making bread. I got into the occult like most goths, googling what is witchcraft when I was about 14. There was a small witchcraft shop in Hina at the time, which is a very small and awful town, but it was where I went to school. Um, I think it was called Magic and Moonbeams, and it looked exactly how you imagine it to. So good, it was run by a, like, a heavily blonde woman. I just, I mainly went in for the dragon statuettes. The little resin, like black resin dragon statues. I was all about that. Um, I would go in and have a look around. She told me what all of the individual crystals did. And at this point, I was in my edgy atheist phase. Um, if I would have been a boy, I would have gone down the alt-right pipeline for sure, the stuff I was consuming online. There was a real fork in the road back then. I was interested in the goth stuff and the aesthetic enough to not, you know, bring my copy of The God Delusion in like I used to do for RE, like a bellend. I was very enthusiastic and opinionated on what she liked um, and kind of very persuasive for someone who was quite sceptical like I was at that age. The biggest, so the biggest influence on my like occult practice is a guy called Ariel Gatoga. So it was a podcast, is what it got released as. So this guy has been teaching, or is a member of a like druidic practice somewhere in California, and has been teaching since the 80s, and released this beginner's witch's course called the Witch's Prima. There was this intensive period where you had a week focusing on each element of what you called the Witch's Pyramid. And so the first week was fire and that was about strengthening your willpower. So you wrote down a list of things that you've been putting off and every day you have to do one of the things. And you had to like meditate by looking at a candle every day for like longer and longer periods of time. The second week was water and that was emotion. And so your meditation practice that week was to like close your eyes and think after you've like grounded and centered, think about what am I feeling right now? Where am I feeling it in my body? And like various journaling things. And as a teenager, that always tripped me up. I've always been someone who copes with everything by being incredibly overstimulated and having like 
a podcast on and a thing and I'll play a video game and there's something else and, and I'll be knitting. Like, even now, I'm like, I need to do something with my hands. And doing that, I would notice that I was very tight in my throat and if I stayed there too long, I would start crying. And so at this point, I'm like, yeah, 14, 15, having a rough time in school. I lost my mum at a young age and never really dealt with it. The home situation was really weird. Being forced to actually sit with myself was kind of overwhelming and that would be the point where I would give up and then I would I would come back and try again and come back and try again and get it perfect. Air was very creativity focused and so it was really easy. It's really nice to have it as a permission slip, honestly. I'm quite intense visualizer, and so they really work on me. Yeah, it's something I've been working out how to use in my artistic process, especially like writing. I, after writing stand-up for eight years, I finally had the realization that I don't have to think in words. I can. I can think in images and then copy what the images are. And it's like, oh! <laughs> if I'm trying to think in words, it, it doesn't work right. And it's not fully images, it's just that the abstract thoughts have different colours and textures and flows. That was another thing that drew me towards the magic and occultism was that the kind of mechanics of having that kind of atheist brain didn't gel with that. And it kind of felt like, oh, the mind is doing its own thing and that's okay. are unreliable narrators, so I can be as unreliable as I want. I had a very profound guided meditation. It was when I was first starting to do stand-up and I wanted to get over stage fright. And this meditation had you like swimming to an island and on the island, you had to just walk up the hill, like slowly and naturally, and there would be three things blocking your way. And then visualize how you can like get through it. Even though it's like so long ago and so early in the process, it's one of the most transformative things I've done. One of them was a chemistry teacher that I had who was very shaming of me in general and yeah it was her telling me that the arts weren't viable it was something to do in my spare time I would never succeed all of that stuff and I think I just told her to fuck off and I walked by obviously in real life I couldn't tell her to fuck off because I was a student so you just have to keep it all inside and so that was good and the second one was a dog, like a black dog that was like really like barking and snarling and like it's gonna rip my throat out at any point. 
how I got past that was just realizing that it's scared and reassuring it that it's going to be okay and it moved and the third obstacle was just a massive rock and I just walked through it the end of it is you get to the top of the get to the top of the hill which is like a big cliff facing down into the water that you swum to the island with and you kind of dive off and then you're cleansed of everything and I remember waking up after that as it were you know coming back and going oh that was something though I yeah the first time I did stand-up I was fucking terrified when they called my like I think the walk to the stage was the most scared I've ever been and then when I got on there I was like oh no this is like Part of me had accepted that it was fine in the back of my head. And I'd always been far too scared to, I guess, like walk through the block of, you know, walk through the big stone block. I always wanted to be involved in drama when I was in school and would get as lit, like, I'd stay after school, I'd do, I'd, I'd learn the thing and I would get as far as the door and I just couldn't get through it. And I guess this helped. My uncle Douglas, he wasn't my real uncle, he was the husband of my nan's best friend, Scylla. Scylla and my nan had grown up together in Quetta. It was then part of British India, now part of Pakistan. And when partition was happening, my nan came back to England and lost touch with Scylla. Anyway, they got back in touch with each other in the 60s or something. But they were friends again when I was growing up in the 80s. And they used to come around, Scylla and Douglas. And Scylla was well, well friendly. She was really nice. But Douglas, he was really strange. He's one of those people, he'd make jokes about you without knowing you well enough. So he'd get them wrong. Scylla died when I was quite young, but we kept having to see Uncle Douglas. He'd come around every year or every couple of times a year. And on my 14th birthday, we went to a Harvester restaurant because my mum thought it was posh and Douglas came with us. And the whole thing was so fucking awkward. I'd done really well in computer studies, not even like part of my GCSE or anything, just computer studies, right? I'd done well, got an A or something in my report. Douglas got wind of this and spent the entire evening calling me Computer King. It was really, you know, like properly, it was so awkward, it would cause physical symptoms. And he gave me a birthday card addressed to the Computer King, and it had like a fiver in it, and he said, get yourself a computer game, Computer King. It just, it made me feel really physically uncomfortable. And at the Harvester restaurant, I ordered mushroom soup. Now, at the time, I didn't like mushrooms. I didn't like the texture, but I liked mushroom soup. I didn't mind them cooked in the soup. I liked the taste of mushroom soup. And Uncle Douglas, as soon as he saw me eating the mushroom soup, he started going, oh, Andrew and mushrooms. Core, eh? Always, honestly, always eating mushrooms, isn't he, Andrew? Oh, you want to be careful, you'll turn into a mushroom. And I'm like looking at my mum, 
for some sort of backup <laughs> kind of like why is he saying this my mum just sort of shook her head like don't 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 say anything don't make a fuss don't be rude and so um, I just had to put up with being called the computer king and being told how much I love mushrooms and that I was in danger of turning into a mushroom now, Douglas lived in Portugal and he lived in Portugal at least as far back as the mid-60s. And he always used to wear a trench coat, like a sort of, I guess, like a Burberry trench coat and a beret, a black beret. And I was having a chat to my brother. He's long dead now. I was having a chat to my brother recently. And I was like, do you reckon Uncle Douglas was a fascist? <laughs> Because he lived in Portugal, which was fascist from 1934 to 1968. And he used to wear, like, the uniform of the sort of people, like in like in Smiley's People, the colonel, I think, in Smiley's People, who, um, who fought against the communists. And they're sort of quite right-leaning, those people. Why would you move to a fascist country from either England? I don't know if he's in India or not. And he used to dress in this kind of weird uniform and always be awkward. So, anyway, I'm going to do a bit more digging. But um, I spent my 14th birthday with a very awkward, possible fascist, Uncle Douglas. Norman Wisdom's Norman Wisdom. Mr Grimsdale! Mr Grimsdale! I think you should start a double act with someone called Gareth Pace, Mr Grimsdale! <coughs> Mr Grimsdale! <laughs> normal wisdom's normal wisdom. I've gone, I've got a job. The Inadvisable Trapdoor is written and produced by me. Andrew O'Neill. The occult interview was with Katie Mitchell. Katie is all over the internet. If you search for Katie Mitchell Comedian, you can find her stand-up and her art and all of her brilliant brain exploding, manifesting into the world. The Ice Cube Tray family was Stevie Monroe and Lyra Smith-Simpson. If you enjoyed The Inadvisable Trapdoor, please consider supporting it on Patreon. The only way I get paid to do this is on Patreon, and it's people like you who allow me to do this. If you are skint, then you absolutely must feel no obligation to sign up to my Patreon. But if you're not skint, then you pay for the people who can't afford to. Thank you very much for everyone who currently supports it. You mean the world to me, and you allow me to make the art. I want to make. Please subscribe and like and subscribe and all that sort of thing. And mainly, spread the word about the inadvisable trapdoor. Take the art and paste it up on billboards. Tell your parents about the inadvisable trapdoor. Whisper into newborn babies' ears about the inadvisable trapdoor. Heckle, hack comedians with the inadvisable trapdoor is much better than this. Go up to musicians you admire and tell them. 
that the inadvisable trapdoor will make their lives better. You are a wonderful audience. There's nothing like this anywhere else in podcast land, and that's because you help fund it. Thank you very much. Please enjoy the rest of the inadvisable trapdoor. I'm so obsessed. Without the bag, I found a solution to my answer back. Question, thank you very much, Grandman. I heard her approaching. I assumed she was wearing flip-flops. But she wasn't. The skin on the bottom of her feet was flapping at the heel, somehow separated from the foot, not bleeding, but flapping. As she got nearer, I was filled with a sense of dread. I knew that if she touched me, my foot skin would flap too. So I ran. Norman Wisdom's Norman Wisdom. Mr. Grimsdale, I think you, you should do the first two series of Red Dwarf, Mr. Grimsdale, and then try and get your own show, Mr. Grimsdale. Then maybe come back in one of the later ones, Mr. Grimsdale. Hattie Hayridge can uh, replace you, Mr. Grimsdale. <laughs> <coughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs>